And I think that was really instrumental in the formation of Flexible because they believed in us. They believed in an idea and they believed in us as founders. And so we literally had nothing except that idea. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. For good, Priya, welcome to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I'm excited to be speaking with you. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, and it's been a while. We've been meaning to get you on the show and the timing is right. You absolutely crushed it at the Alpha Lab Demo Day, just in an environment where everyone is pitching, where everyone has honed their thing. You stood out for how articulate you were, how good your pitch was, how clear it was, precisely the value and the service that you guys were offering. The only other person who's ever stood out in that same way to me was George Cook of Honeycomb Credit, who we had on the show as well. So I actually want to start off right there with, to what do you attribute, and I'm sure you're going to be self-effacing, but to what do you attribute your proficiency in those pitches or in those succinct environments? So first of all, thank you. That's very kind, and I, I appreciate that compliment. I would definitely attribute my speaking skills, I guess, if you will, to my time as a brand manager. I was with Nestle for years, and I had to stand up and make lots of presentations to my direct reports or to my team or to the leadership within the organization. And so that was a integral part of my job. I enjoy it. But more importantly, I think it's something that is important for anybody in business to try and get as much practice as possible. I think Toastmasters, for example, is such a great resource. Talking to your colleagues or your friends, trying to take as many opportunities to get up in front of people and talk, I think is the best way to hone that skill and to be confident when those opportunities arise. Now, there's usually two types of characters who get to that stage of really feeling confident and comfortable up there. Either they've been a ham forever. So I'm squarely in that road. Like there's video of me when I was in preschool, like narrating, like front of the school play type of stuff. And then there's the other characters where it was like a, it was a deficiency or a weakness or pain point. And then they're like, I am going all in to fix this and flip the switch. Which one do you fall into? I would definitely say the latter. I was very shy growing up. I'm the younger kid. I kind of just always felt like, you know, it was, I had to fight for airtime, if you will. And so it just became the default to kind of be in the shadows a bit. And so I kind of grew up kind of waiting to be told when to talk. Okay. So going to undergrad and even grad school, I got my MBA back in 2006. And I had to work on that skill. I had to work on not apologizing for speaking up. And I had to work on being comfortable hearing my own voice in this role of authority. And as I got more and more used to that from a, definitely a professional perspective, but certainly from a personal one, then that I'm a mom, yeah, I have to get up and be that authority figure every single day. Get your shoes on, do your homework, eat your breakfast. It becomes something that is a necessity in day-to-day life from both a personal and professional perspective to stand up, to be confident in my own voice, and to be used to hearing myself in that level of authority. Gotcha. Now, you mentioned Toastmasters earlier. Is that somewhere that you went to hone that skill, or did you go in other areas? I I went like a couple of times, but kind of like I mentioned, I think it was mainly my professional, my my job, my career kind of demanded um, that skill to be a part of who I am, getting up, doing 
um, marketing planning presentations, for example, on a yearly basis, we would get up in front of on the 15th floor in front of all the C-level folks and have to present what is the plan for growth for next year. And so you have to put that time behind really getting your message succinct but on point and speak clearly, speak with confidence, don't apologize, which is something I'm actually still working on, which is interesting. I often find myself, if I'm putting my two cents out, I find myself saying, oh, sorry, I've got something to say, instead of just saying it. And so that's certainly something I'm still working on. Yeah, I have know a couple friends who have a very similar, where like, they're definitely experts. They definitely know what they're talking about, but it's some form of internal conversation that gets them hung up. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily a gender thing or if it's also from a startup perspective. I think in the startup world, there is a little bit, and not, I'm not saying that this is across the board, but there's definitely imposter syndrome that kind of lingers in the startup space. Because this is the first time, at least for me, that I'm in charge. And before you have these levels of authority kind of either above or lateral to you where you can kind of check in and say, okay, is this what we're supposed to do? And this is the first time I don't have that. So sometimes you kind of feel that anxiety of, am I doing this right? And then that apology just sort of bubbles up to yeah, the top. Absolutely. I want to talk about that transition from position of authority from your previous life in the brand space and the large corporate space. Before we do that, but just really quickly, I'll have done this in the intro, but explain for folks how you think about Flexible and uh, what the mission is of the company. How I think about Flexible? What do you mean by that? How, why Flexible needed to happen? Like why there was, the timing was right for this to come to the market? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the timing of this is really important from both a personal perspective and then I think on a larger scale. From a personal standpoint, kind of going back to what I'd mentioned before, I was on the brain management track at Nestle and I loved my job and everything was great, but I had my first kid and everything sort of flipped, priorities flipped and time management flipped. Uh, I ended up leaving my career to be a stay-at-home mom. That's what actually brought us here to Pittsburgh, my husband's company. And what I'd started doing after about a couple of years of being a full-time stay-at-home mom was I started a consulting company. And my consulting company was a marketing and strategic branding company to help small businesses and startups kind of create a strategic foundation for long-term growth. It all kind of fits into the life ecosystem. And so kind of those two things kind of coming together, my personal woes from a professional perspective, and then a lot of these things that have been happening in the country and the world led to not only us thinking that it is time to start making a difference, but people were willing and ready and able to hear this and take action towards it. So from a Pittsburgh perspective, we've been fortunate in that even when we started out, so when Jessica and I first met, I'm going to clear my throat. <clears throat> Sorry. You're good. So when Jessica and I first met, we had this idea, how the heck do we make last minute childcare, backup childcare easier for parents, for, for moms. And what we did was we literally just pitched this idea to Alana Diamond's or at Alpha Lab Gear. We didn't have anything but maybe a handful of friends that said, yeah, that's a great idea, to in the back of our minds, kind of a very like high level back of the napkin business plan, if you will. And Alana, without question, said, apply to Alpha Lab. 
And we thought, wait, hold on. <laughs> we don't have anything but a couple of anecdotal answers from some friends and, you know, some ideas here and there. And she said, but this is great. Go apply. And so we did. We got in front of Jim Jen and all the folks over at Alpha Lab and we pitched this idea and we got into Alpha Lab. And I think that was really instrumental in the formation of Flexible because they believed in us. They believed in an idea and they believed in us as founders. And so we literally had nothing except that idea. We got into the Alpha Lab program, the 16th cohort, and it grew from there. We started with a platform to help parents and caregivers connect intelligently. So at the last minute, if Hannah had a networking event to go to at 6 p.m. tomorrow evening, she could find somebody to watch her kids so that she could go. That was the initial concept. And it took us about nine months or so to test that out. So four or five of those months were in Alpha Lab and then an additional four or five months afterwards. And what we realized was a couple of things. One, definitely there is a need for this. Parents were really excited to see that there was an option. Caregivers were excited to see that there was an option to get more work, more meaningful work. But what was interesting was the trust factor still wasn't there. We tried a couple different iterations where... There was a social component added to it. So like almost like a Facebook component where, well, Aaron knows Hannah and Hannah knows Priya. So Aaron can trust Priya. So like there was that sort of like end degrees of separation component added to it. But it it's still presented to be difficult from both a business model perspective and a scalability standpoint. Because what we kept thinking was and what we kept seeing was it was becoming more and more of a me too to a lot of the existing online childcare platforms that exist. And it still wasn't solving the problem. Parents were signing up. They were excited, but they weren't actually booking caregivers. They liked having a back pocket option. So we were like, okay, let's pump the brakes on this for a second and let's think about how we're actually going to solve this. And around the same time, we'd gotten a couple of requests to provide childcare at events around town. And at first, we didn't really think much of it. Jessica and I were like, eh, sure, we'll go home, we'll grab some construction paper and some of our kids' toys and go do it ourselves. And then the light bulb just went off in my head and I said, you know what? There is a business model here because now we're providing a necessary resource for parents. We're providing meaningful work for caregivers. We're, we're basically showcasing that trust factor because if a parent is dropping their child off with a person right here and then going across the hall to where the event is. But more importantly, and what's actually presenting itself to be most important, is the organization or the event coordinator, event host, saw this as a real opportunity to drive inclusion. They're getting more people to attend their events. They're getting different types of people to attend their events. It's not the same people that they see over and over again. Now it's the new mom that moved to town because her husband's job brought her or the new single parent who wasn't able to attend an event before but has a vast world of knowledge that maybe an employer needs in the area or whatever it may be. So we stepped back and we said, holy cow, how do we do this? So we started recruiting some of our friends who we knew had childcare experience. We kind of pumped the brakes on the idea to get all of our liability insurance and kind of all of our ducks in a row. And then we started slowly marketing it as on-site childcare and it blew up. So fast forward about a year, that was last August that we started marketing 
on-site childcare. We had done that first quote unquote event back in like April or May of 2017. In August of 2017, after we'd gotten all of our ducks in a row, we started marketing it. And since then, we've done over 250 events around Pittsburgh. We've done events ranging from evening networking events to morning events. For example, with Innovation Works, they have us at all of our all of their caffeinated innovation events. We've done things like Demo Day, like you mentioned. We started doing conferences, which is great. So two to three day conferences in multiple cities as well, which is great to show to to allow the event coordinator to provide more inclusivity for their attendees. And more importantly, one of the coolest types of events that we've done recently is for workplaces on days when school's closed and work's not. So Election Day just passed. Veterans Day just passed. We have Columbus Day, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. These are all days that are not federal holidays. But kids still have days off of school. On top of that, there are in-service days, which, oh my gosh, they drive me nuts. (laughs) And so those are the types of days when an employer typically sees their staff who have children take those days off, they take PTO days. One of the stats is there are, on average, the American worker gets 10 PTO days, but used nearly 80% for childcare. Wow. So they typically don't have a ton of time aside from sick days or maxing out their PTO days to take time for themselves, and so they don't. And so there's definitely this discrepancy between what parents need and what employers are able to give. And so what we're trying to do there is to kind of bridge that gap a little bit on a kind of higher level. What Flexible is trying to do is to fill the white space gaps in the childcare ecosystem. There are traditional daycares all across the country. There are after-school programs. There's lots of other great regulated programs across the country that help children. But there are these gaps, whether they be from a professional perspective or even from a personal perspective that we're trying to fill. And so what Flexible is on a mission to do is to create innovative childcare solutions to help life and work fit. That is an excellent, succinct description, but a really great preamble that helped us understand. What you got me wondering about, though, and almost a model for this is Uber in the sense that there were people that needed cars. There was this latent demand that they were able to unlock an access yep. and provide a solution for one of the challenges in the solution coming to the market earlier, at least in the Uber example, was there wasn't a way for people to know that this demand existed, but there also was a challenge in finding the supply yep. of solution providers. So when you're talking about, well, there's these in-service days or holidays where a lot of people have this need. Is there a challenge? I mean, part of the reason maybe a daycare or some of these other solution providers can't be there is, well, it's also a holiday for the caregivers, or it's also a bunch of different places all needing it on that one day at that same time. How do you guys deal with that in terms of having a stable of caregivers? So that's such a great question. And we think and talk about that all the time, honestly. Supply and demand is definitely the equation that we're always thinking of, but capacity is the other issue we talk about. And that's one of the reasons why our model the way that we modeled our business is that we are not a traditional daycare. We don't have capacity constraints from a physical location perspective. So what that means is similar to Giant Eagle has the Eagle's Nest or LA Fitness has on-site childcare, we leverage a space 
in a existing office, for example. So I'll talk about Innovation Works again. We use one of their conference rooms to do childcare. Now, in the event, like you mentioned, Aaron, if there's more kids because there's just a ton of demand, we ask for another conference room. So an example of this was we did childcare down at the convention center for a conference that came into town. We had one room set aside for childcare, but we had a ton of registrants. And so we got a second room. And so what we're trying to do is become operationally efficient so we can not only get a hold of what that demand is, especially on those high need days, for example, election day, for example, but also work closely with event organizers or with organizations to make sure that demand is fulfilled. So we're working to figure out how that works. But that is one of the advantages that Flexible has is that because we don't have a brick and mortar space that strains us, there's never been a time where we say we can't do that, and, thankfully. And there's a reason that you would have an edge against some of those other maybe more established providers in the same way that Blockbuster didn't come up with Netflix or other providers like the taxi cabs didn't come up with Uber is when you're stuck in like that other model of doing business, that complete reframe or adjustment isn't necessarily possible, but your company is younger, but was born in that ethos and solving for that. Correct. And what we certainly don't ever want to try and replace or quote unquote fix or do anything like that from the professional regulated childcare space. I think there is a lot of great, great players in that space. I think Regulation and policy there is there for a very specific reason. Like I mentioned, we're trying to fill the white space gap, so trying to be the additional opportunity or, or option. And that's where being an on-site child care provider, one whose liability insurance rests on the fact that the parent stays on site, allows us to be nimble. And so what we can't do is we can't say, hey, drop your kid off here and go have dinner downtown. Right. We definitely can't do that. So that does limit the amount of market potential that we have. But even just looking at the professional landscape from a workplace, conference, and event perspective, it's about a $58 billion market for us to potentially tap into. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. Another dot that got connected in my mind through this conversation is given your background in branding, one of the things that you guys have done particularly well, and it, it just seems like a natural fit, is a lot of these events that I'm seeing where they've hired Flexible to provide childcare, there's a co-branding opportunity where they'll say, this is our event, this is what we're all about, and we'll have childcare provided by Flexible, which does a couple things. For those that have used Flexible in the past, there's a comfort with, okay, this is like legit high quality childcare that I can trust. Yep. But to those people who, I don't have kids, like I haven't necessarily had to think about that before, it's getting your name out there to more and more of the community and having these events effectively market you on their behalf as well. Yeah. Is that intentional or kind of a lucky accident? It's very, very intentional. We were using the hashtag childcare everywhere for quite a little bit of time because what we started hearing were people saying, hey, I saw you at that event last week and then I saw you tonight and you were at then two weeks ago. You guys are everywhere. What we're trying to do from a brand perspective is trying to build that universality because what we believe is that if childcare were incorporated at every level of the professional ecosystem, there are more opportunities for inclusivity. 
And so going back to these organizations as well, that's the value that they see too. It's not just, hey, we're providing childcare, like, hey, we're providing coffee or, hey, we're providing this. And yes, it is another amenity, but it goes even further to showcase their commitment to inclusivity. Innovation Works, we've been a partner with them for about two years now, and they've started seeing from a qualitative perspective, people perceive them as more inclusive because they consistently provide childcare. So it allows them to not only open their doors to more people, but also elevate their brand as well to be this inclusive tech hub in the Pittsburgh area. 100%. Um, You mentioned some of these conferences that you're working with going into other cities. What do some of the obstacles look like as it pertains to expanding Flexible to reach these other regions? It's a great question. We've been talking about this for quite some time. The biggest hurdle is the liability piece. Childcare is such a liability-heavy industry, which is why traditional daycare is so heavily regulated. These are people's children. So we have to think about every single thing possible that could go wrong and try and fix it in this sort of contained environment, which is Pittsburgh, before we start expanding. I'm happy to say we're about 95% there in creating a replicable model that can be taken to other cities. And what that is, we call it kind of flexible in a box but it allows us to take that liability insurance, take the hiring practices, take the marketing playbook, if you will, take all of the operations that we've been doing, and more importantly, take a sophisticated tech platform and bring those to other cities in order to make it work in other places. Now, we're still figuring things out. And like I think I said before, the first thing that we figured out before we even started marketing our services was the insurance piece. That is first and foremost on everybody's mind, who's liable for all of this happening? So what we have to continue to do is to think about efficient ways to bring that liability coverage to as many places as possible to make childcare as accessible as possible to as many places. When you said in a box, it made me wonder, is this going to be a franchising model or is this going to be a centrally operated model? We're still thinking about it. I think there's some things in the works where we're talking to several cities right now to kind of figure that out and knock on every piece of wood. We're excited that we've got several partners in multiple cities across the country that we're starting to work with. That's awesome. Well, one of the things that I get immense pleasure from in doing this show is meeting the people who might be starting something here in Pittsburgh, but they are creating a model that is scaling outward. So two great examples of that are Leah Lizarondo and 412 Food Rescue and Dan Bull with the zero model of providing second chances for previously incarcerated citizens. And this seems to squarely fit in that same ideal where, you know, if given enough time, given enough hard work, this is going to scale to a lot of different communities just because from a practicality standpoint, the need is there. Uh, But it's really exciting to see this in still its early stages and all the exciting foundation you guys are laying. It is exciting. And I appreciate you bringing up Leia and 412 Food Rescue. First of all, we love 412 Food Rescue. We love Leia. She's a mother as well, just like Jessica and I are. Um, But we definitely do look at them as a mentor, not only from a brand perspective, but certainly from a business standpoint. I think when you're talking about something like And I don't want to, I hate using this term because it definitely does sound somewhat glib, but human capital. At the end of the day, our caregivers are our product. They're out in the field doing all of the work and doing a phenomenal job. 
But we have to think about how to make things as safe for them and for the kids as possible, as high quality as possible, but also delivering on the value proposition that we've created for our our customers. And I know organizations like 412 Food Rescue think about that as well. How do you move as much food to as many places as possible in as efficient a manner as possible? And so we look at their expansion model. We look at some other organizations, not only in the childcare space, but in the care ecosystem in general. How have they scaled? How have they thought of sort of the watch outs and the good to do's and whatnot to try and scale as efficiently as possible? Awesome. Well, I'm excited to continue to track the growth of you guys. And we had Jessica on, I think, more than two years ago, back when it was primarily a Whetstone work group. Yeah. We're doing this now. I'm sure we'll do another one in the future. But uh, for people that want to follow along in the meantime, what digital coordinates can we provide for folks that want to learn more? Yeah. So our website is flexiblecare.com. That's F-L-E-X-A-B-L-E-C-A-R-E. That's the same as our Twitter handle, at flexiblecare. Facebook at Flexible Care and LinkedIn as well. And yeah, definitely follow us on all of those. We do have a newsletter that you can sign up for as well. And you can hopefully see us at several events around town. Lovely. Well, we're going to link that all in the show notes. Goingdeeperthereincom slash podcast is the place to find it for this and every episode of the show or just go into this podcast app where you're currently listening and scroll down a little bit. But as we do at the end of each conversation, Priya, I want to give you the mic a final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. Yeah. So one of the things that we're on a mission to do, like I mentioned, is create innovative childcare solutions. But kind of above that is to think of unique ways to be inclusive. And I think as entrepreneurs or as business people or professionals in general, I think it's everyone's duty to think about ways to be inclusive of everyone. So anyone listening to this right now, if you can think of some cool and innovative ways to be inclusive, I would challenge you to either think of ways to bring those to life yourself or to share those ideas with people that you know are trying to bring other inclusive things to life. Because I think the more that we can be inclusive of one another, there's so much opportunity to create more as well as just be a more cohesive and compassionate community. One of the things that I love about Pittsburgh is how compassionate and cohesive it is. I've lived all over the country, from East Coast to West Coast to the South to the Midwest, and Pittsburgh has kind of the best of everything. And so I think everyone listening to this, both in Pittsburgh and across the country, try to think of ways to be more inclusive and try to bring those thoughts to life. That is a beautiful note to wrap up on. Thanks. I love it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. This was fantastic. I appreciate it. Beautiful. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for watching all the way to the end of this podcast interview. I am really curious what your takeaways were. Please let me know in the comments below.